0: Anyway, back to the podcast. Wow. Good away? morning, sanctuary. This is so good. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the physical world. This is Well done, everybody. Um, we've got kids going to the toilet behind me and everything happening. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're here. We love your word. And we just ask you, Jesus, right now, by the power of the spirit, that you will come. Fill our hearts, fill our minds with the very presence of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Come upon us, Lord God, from San Francisco to Visalia to England. Lord, we ask you, Jesus, that you will just come and walk amongst us, resurrected King. Come and touch our minds, come and touch our spirits as we look at your precious word. Amen. 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 Okay, so turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Let me just tweet that. Uh, Mark chapter 4. And um, what a week it has been. Um, Oh my word. I don't know about you, but I I am a fairly emotional man. I do admit that. Um, But even... Even that side, the last week or so has just been intense, <laughs> really intense. This is what happened to my, my emotions and my like, inner being. Um, a week ago or so, uh, the mayor of uh, San Francisco, uh, London, um, Breed, London Breed, yeah, mm-hmm. she, she said, okay, shelter in one place. And it became very real here. And I remember feeling at first, like, oh, wow. Like, we're going to be in-, in house all the time. And <clears throat> one level, that's my heaven. Um, <laughs> I don't know have to leave the house. I can just flop around. And I, at first, felt this, like, invitation for rest. I, I, I knew life was going to carry on in many ways, but a certain degree of, like, pressure's off. Anyone here vaguely identify with that? Just wave a little bit if you do. I can see a few hands. Yeah, there's a strange... I know Minette was talking about, you know, like a kind of the Sabbath idea and some of her friends were thinking this is this is almost like a global thing. And what's what's the Lord doing in that? And I felt that certain like almost a strange kind of pressure off thing. And then I started to look at social media. Now, social media is a blessing in many ways. We're kind of using technology at least uh, to stay connected. It is the source of great blessing. Um, But what I noticed was, over those next few days, was actually my inner life, as I started to look at social media and news more and more and more and more than I ever normally did, two things happened. First of all, fear started to come into my being um, as I just started to read about different parts of the world and things going on. Um, And then a kind of anxiety start to come into my spirit Um, as I heard about more and more excellent leaders and people kind of adapting and overcoming and changing how they do church and do school and do everything. And and, and although that's brilliant, I am about as technological as a badger. And (laughs) I just about can do this. I have an iPad. I don't even have a desktop. I have an iPad, like a kind of a child's thing. You know, I don't, And 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 suddenly I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we're already like 6,000 miles from the place that is most familiar. Um, We're in a very de-churched, unchurched, anti church city where it costs about a billion pounds to stay for a day. (laughs) Um, I can get quite flustered at the best of time, organisationally. And now, on top of all of that, somehow everything has to sort of become more and more technologically... Connected and embraced. And uh I was actually very in enheartened last night to see a couple of posts, one from a guy called Dave Lomas, who leads a great church here in the city, who did a very vulnerable post talking about a similar kind of emotional experience for him. Huge disorientation. So I'm just trying to be really vulnerable with you guys and um and and just first of all, show of hands. Any of you felt any kind of similarity of that weird mix where there's some levels of like kind of pressures off, but then at the same time, disorientation, fears, kind of almost confusion and guilt at times. How do I respond to this? Yeah, a lot of hands going up. And in that time, in this time, and uh, and actually we were going to, I was going to speak on something entirely different, but I, I really felt like I wanted just to, on Friday afternoon, I felt Jesus just speak to me about this passage from Mark chapter four, which is so simple, a child can understand this passage that we're gonna look at. And yet I couldn't get out of my mind as I was stressing out and feeling anxiety and feeling even more out of control. That's the issue, more and more out of control. I couldn't get this picture out of my head of Jesus asleep in the storm. I'm sure many of us will know this story, but this 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 picture just came back to me. So um could someone just volunteer just to read mark chapter four the verse thirty five to forty one just six verses? Someone just nice and quick, pop the hand up, or I'll pick someone. All right, okay, Joni, you're up.
1: All right. Jesus stills the sea. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him?
0: Great, thank you so much. So we have this um, extraordinary incident that happens in this very that dramatic sense. Um, I think all the gospel writers... Oh, uh, is someone... Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, in Matthew and in Luke, this story is also told. It's a very central and key story to um, the gospels. And it's set in this incredibly atmospheric moment. I don't know if you noticed here, that evening when evening came. So the picture to get into your minds is at night, okay? And the Sea of Galilee was not some little pond at some little spot of water. It was a sea, okay? It was huge. It was a significant piece of water. And after a busy day, Jesus, being the one who is always so um, so keen to serve others, he knows the next day they're going to be on the eastern side of the lake. They're going to be in the the region of the Gerasenes, and there's a very famous story that happens that we won't look at today in the east part of that area. So Jesus knows. Well, there's a demoniac that needs to be set free, or at least he knows that the father's saying, "Get to the other side." And so even at night. Jesus sets out um, with his disciples. Let us go over to the other side, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. It's just a little interesting note there. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It says that Jesus he came just as he was. It seems to be implying that he didn't have extra clothing on. He didn't have uh, the kind of extra nighttime gear that you would imagine that you would have as you set sail into the night jesus physically at this moment is somewhat vulnerable he comes just as he as he has he's been with the crowds teaching all day and yet he gets into the boat just as he is just as he was they took him along and there were also some other boats with him just another little interesting note um he leaves the crowds, they've been serving the crowds, they get into the boat and they think the boat was probably around 25 to 30 feet long. It would have had two sets of people rowing it. So it wasn't a tiny little boat, but, but it, was, it wasn't it was huge. 20, I've sailed a 90 footer around the coast of England and, it's, it's, and that still felt very vulnerable. Um, I was a 14 year old and we went on this week sailing holiday. And we had some serious gales and a ninety-footer felt terrifying. So even this boat, which is between twenty-five and thirty feet, although it's not tiny, it is pretty small in in the sort of normal day that we would be used to. Going out to a sea at night in a relatively small boat. Jesus dressed just as he is. He isn't he hasn't got a life vest on, he hasn't got, you know, a whistle, he hasn't got a, a flare, he is in a sense, physically vulnerable alongside with them, and they leave. And this, a furious squall came up. So is that in the NIV. I don't know what your translation is. That could be translated hurricane. So this is a massive deal. Um, we get used to this, but for h- hundreds of years, oceans and seas were not seen as cute places you went to on vacation. In mythology and even um, in ancient writing for hundreds of years, the sea was synonymous with, with death and with an enemy, and with something that was not your friend. And because people died frequently in these situations. And I'm told, um, so so they're going in an easterly direction. And what's fascinating, just picture the scene. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet beneath sea level. So it's very low. Imagine the scene. It's a huge bit of body of water, but it's very low. And all around it are these massive hills. And in fact, I think it's Mount Horeb. Is on the northeast part of um of the uh of the of the of the uh, of the of the lake. I think it's Mount Horeb, correct me if I'm wrong. It's certainly a mountain, a big mountain, which is over 9,000 feet high. So they're going at nighttime into this big bit of body of water with these huge mountains and hills all around them. So very intimidating um, picture that they're in. And the waves come so badly that the entire boat is almost swamped. So again, this isn't just the waves lapping against it, that they've been coming consistently now for some time to the point where this boat that Jesus has called them into is now effectively sinking. It's seriously taking in water. And I don't know what was happening. I'm no sailor. doesn't say this in the text, but my guess would be that they are frantically bailing out the water with their hands, with anything they can get to, um, so it's, it's a terrifying picture that we find at the moment. And Jesus was in the stern, which is the, the point at which the, the captain of the ship would go. The stern is the place where the, the, the leader of the boat would be positioned, sleeping on a cushion. He's asleep. So the great leader of this world, he's not there you know governing the star looking at the stars working out navigating where he should go he's not there even ushering great commands of confidence to to those who are around him he's asleep he's having a nap and of course uh you know you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the first a very first uh application as we read this is that in life Man, there are times when massive, massive storms come our way. And honestly, it can feel like Jesus is asleep. He was literally asleep. Now we'll get on to the point where he gets woken up. But the first point is, does anyone here identify with that moment or those moments in your life where there are scary things happening genuinely significantly and you know storms from mental health to to job loss to homesickness to illness to you know wayward children storms of many different kinds are coming and they're not they're not a small issue they're not your boat is sinking this is seriously terrifying and yet jesus seems to be and he actually is in this moment asleep i i find this I find this encouraging and, and perplexing all at the same time. It's not a neat, clear thing. It's, it, it's, it's a mystery in a way, but it helps me understand the ways of God because Jesus here shows us something. You see, the question is why, why is he asleep on a cushion? Why is he not awake? Why is he not ready and giving them comfort in this time? It says the disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown so there's two things that happen here that are crucial the first thing is they wake him um matthew henry says his eyes were shut but his heart was awake i love that his eyes were shut but his heart was awake it's it's like in the song of solomon it talks about the bride and the bridegroom and and there's bits where it talks about uh, I think it's the bride, she's asleep, or maybe it's the groom, I can't watch which way around it is, one of them's asleep, but it's the, the moment that their lover, that they hear the voices of the lover, they're awake in an instant, and there's something of that here, Jesus is genuinely asleep, he's not just pretending, but the moment that they come and they touch him and they wake him, he is immediately awake. And this is, this is the first obvious and, in a sense, the biggest takeaway of this whole passage. What do, we, what do we do? What are we called to do in these moments where there are so many storms around us? We're called to be those who wake Jesus. Now, just theologically, just so everyone is, I don't believe that Jesus literally sleeps uh, like now. I, I, that's a whole other issue. I mean, he is physical, but I, I, I don't know. But what the point being here, the picture is that there was an action required by them that really for us is synonymous, I guess, with prayer, right? We're called to be people who, rather than going into planning mode or needing to be good sailor mode or needing to become under pressure mode, we get our hands on Jesus. Okay, so if there's anything else that you take away from this talk, it's are we those who, when the storm comes, more than anything, become those who get Jesus that we touch Jesus through prayer that we come to Jesus through prayer I would say hand on heart um coming to San Francisco and attempting to plant a church in a city such as this I have felt in some ways more um, weak and unable to make anything happen and yet at the same time not in a despairing way, in a very hope-filled way, discovering prayer like I have never discovered in my life. I have, when you preach, you always say, hey, use illustrations that I like, make you look bad, okay? And that's totally true. But I want to actually honestly say um, I am weak, and anyone in the team will know me. I am very weak in many areas. All I can boast in is the work of Christ in building a heart of prayer in me in the last few months of my life. I have never prayed so much in my life and I can't, I don't think you need to be a great person of faith. I just think you need to be desperate. <laughs> you just need to let pain go to work on you and rather than paralyze you, it should propel you into a place where you're like, Jesus, wake up. I need you again. I know that you were, I woke you up 10 seconds ago, but I need you again. I need you as I walk upstairs and it's chaos upstairs. I need you as I've had another argument with Josie. I need you again, wake up again. And, 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 and leaning into a posture of relentless waking of Jesus as simple as it sounds is what this is about we come to him and we say we say Jesus won't you act won't you work won't you come won't you I mean there's so many people on this zoom call and we haven't got time but I would love to unmute everyone and say you name your storms now you tell me what those things are that are causing you frustration and confusion and pain and we would have dozens and dozens of answers the storm in a sense is secondary to the posture of the disciples now what's fascinating is they don't get it entirely right can you see the the the, the, the thing to learn in addition to the positive is the is the negative is they say teacher don't you care if we drown which is fascinating with their london accent they they even though it's, It doesn't make sense to me, this bit. Someone can help me later on to understand this. If Jesus is asleep, surely the first thing you'd do when you wake him up would just be like, hey, Jesus, you probably don't know because you're asleep, but we're kind of in some serious problems here, right? But their, their, their kind of aggressive question is actually assuming that he already knew somehow in his sleep that things were going bad. I don't really understand that. But what happens is so fascinating. He gets up. He rebukes the wind, and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And what's fascinating is that I'm told the Greek word for quiet has been used twice before, and, and those different times when he said it, he's actually casting out demons. So this isn't just him doing a miracle nature, uh, a, a nature miracle, rather. There's There's something here of of him addressing a demonic element, it seems. And I don't understand all of that, but, the, but he says to the, to the wind and the waves, quiet, or you could have translated it, be muzzled. You know, you muzzle a dog that's like out of control. And he's saying, be quiet, be still. And it's interesting that he talks about, he's almost hinting here about like volume and storms. It's almost like the element of the storm that he's addressing is not so much the sight of it, but is the noise it creates. Is like the visual noise, or sorry, not the visual noise, the, the, the spiritual noise, the emotional noise, the relational noise. Storms create a noise in our minds and in our beings that need to be addressed by Jesus. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So Jesus here, he um. they seem to be more terrified of the supernatural than of the physical storm that they've been through. Isn't that interesting? How many of us as Christians could be more freaked out by the power and the presence of God supernaturally working than even big scary things in our lives? So many of us um, can find that more of a, a freaky thing But what they come to is this point where they're terrified and they ask each other, who is this? And so so we come to this point of of this incredible story where their fear, the appropriate fear of God is now upon them. The appropriate fear of God. When they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're over familiar. It's just teacher. There's no Lord. You know, the humility of Jesus that he lets them speak to him like this. They get it right that they wake him. What they get wrong is the heart attitude. Here we go, look, of anger and fear. Anger and fear. When we are in a storm, anger and fear are so often the emotions that are, are dominating our inner being. I found that in myself. I don't know if anyone here would would testify to that. It's not exclusively just those emotions, but we see these 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 disciples. They're fearful, and therefore it's leading to anger. And so the challenge here is this: Jesus loves their heart to go to Him, to wake Him. But what He is challenging them on, this is really big for us. Even when we are fearful. Unbelief, lack of trust, doubt, anger at God in a disrespectful way, in a way that doubts his character of kindness, that's not okay. And we see this fascinating challenge here. Have you ever noticed that when fear is mentioned in the Bible, and I'm told that do not fear, do not fear, is the biggest the most common command of the whole of scripture it's right up there that so often it, it, when we are um, when we are dealing with people who are fearful if, I, if my kids are scared my natural response is sympathy okay oh, i'm so sorry you're scared interestingly when we are fearful the Bible, of course, God is incredibly sympathetic, but often, actually, Jesus isn't purely sympathetic. There is a nuance to his response. There is a nuance to his response throughout the scriptures. And often, often, he, um, he will confront fear. Isn't it fascinating? I don't know if you've noticed that. If if my kids are fearful, if I'm fearful, I want sympathy. Please, I want sympathy. I'm scared and I deserve and I should have sympathy. And sympathy often feels the right thing. But Jesus, his love looks different to just pure sympathy all the time. It's fascinating. Sometimes he'll say, enough. I know you you think you want me to just continually to say, it's awful, it's awful. Yes, you need sympathy. But sometimes I, I hear him say to me, Tom, no. I'm not going to do that. That is not how my love will look to you. And that can be disorientating. If you've, if you've been looking for sympathy and love from Jesus, and actually in those moments when you're scared, it, it's not that. It's actually this. He's saying, no. You know, And this is as old as the Israelites grumbling in the desert. This is exactly the same issue. Is They were scared, and they, that led to unbelief. And actually Jesus is like, listen, I know you're scared, but that's not an excuse to doubt me. My character... And this is this is the great challenge. So, so um, before I before I finish, I'll give almost the great key. I hope to any of the, to, to how Jesus managed to do this. Just any comments people want to just quickly jump in and say anything bubbling up that you just want to throw into the mix. Any any thoughts that are coming quickly from what we've said before I finish with, in a sense, how I think Jesus was so radically different. You'll have to unmute yourself.
2: That's so good, Tom. I'm not sure I have much more to add. I I'm on pins and needles waiting for your solution. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that, as you read it, that stood out to me was the fact that, it, you know, in with Jesus being fully man, I think he was just like dead tired, tired. dead tired. There's an echo. Are you guys getting the echo? Maybe it's just me. Meaning if you look at what he was doing, he was like, just like in manic ministry mode, like pouring himself out, preaching to masses, and like finally got to the end of the day and was literally exhausted to the point that like the I don't think he was like miraculously sleeping through the storm. I think he was naturally sleeping through the storm because he was so like ragged because he had been pouring himself out. And then the fact that he can come out of that and not be annoyed that like, now there's one more thing he has to do, but actually like has the response he has. I mean, even though he rebukes the disciples, I mean, he, he, that's a loving thing as you're pointing out. I I find that super encouraging to think that like, oh man, even he can get so tired that a hurricane won't wake him up. It just naturally speaking, and then can still like carry on. I guess there was just a rise in me to like, like desire that sort of fruit of his being. I'll pause there.
0: Excellent, Billy. That's great. Any other comments, any other thoughts?
3: I don't have any profound comments, but I'm, something I'm just working through. Maybe it was intentional. But I just it struck me, you had you'd said something like, in a storm, the, some of the primary emotions we can turn to are anger and fear. Those are the two kind of points. Mm-hmm. And just um, connecting that to what we've talked about maybe a month ago about when you face people, um, you can either you know, use them or fear them. You can either be like frustrated mm-hmm. with them if they're lower than you. Um, and you can be angry at them, frustrated, or if they're like more, you perceive them as more powerful. You can be fearful of them. And mm-hmm. it's just so interesting to me how, um, like the same dynamic with others, while wow. very present in these huge crisis circumstances too. Yeah, um, you know, so you relate to God almost in the same way. So yeah. it's, it's just a more um, it's mm-hmm. still, I'm still working through it, but the, on the it's just, it just shows you how the nuances of how we can really. be broken and all these uh, things show up in our lives I definitely have felt both of those
0: um, this was great so helpful anyone else any other thoughts
1: I was just thinking um, your connection of fear leading to anger Jesus doesn't rebuke their anger he rebukes their fear so instead of rebuking the response He rebukes, like, what is really going on here? And Mm. that's really kind and really compassionate of him.
0: Wow. Great point, Joni. That's super helpful. That's great, guys. So I want to finish by just, in a sense, attempting to give a possible secret that Jesus is just, just moments earlier spoken on that i'd never seen and i have to give all credit to matthew henry who makes the connection he's a great commentator from a while ago if you turn back just a few verses to verse 26 jesus gives this amazing parable that is like one of my absolute favorites as someone who can get fearful about trying to stay in control of things and am i doing enough and am i working hard enough and am i Organised enough in the Enneagram language world, if you know about that, I'm a three, and efficiency is my god. And I want, I want to be always doing things that are strategic. You know, I'm, I'm not that I'm particularly strategic, but I, I am often fearful I'm not doing enough. Okay, and Jesus says these words about what is the kingdom of God like. Sorry, I keep having someone. He says this. He said this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle in it, because the harvest has come. Can I have a hallelujah? This is one of the most releasing glorious bridge magnets verse kingdom thingies ever it is brilliant because what he's saying is he's saying there is a mystery and there is a sovereignty that our father has over everything when the gospel goes out when the word of god goes out when that seed is sown we, we ultimately, we get on with our normal life. We sleep, we rest, we get up, we go to sleep, we do normal things. And yet there is this promise that the kingdom of God is always working. Jesus says, my father is always working. He's always at work. It's glorious. When you go to sleep at night, guess what? The rest of the world is still wide awake. And, 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 and uh, George just said, hallelujah, on the little chat thing, amen. Uh, and the rest of the world, Is still awake, and God is sustaining all things. And even Jesus, in his humanity, rejoices over the sovereignty of God, that God is the one. I mean, Jesus, who was perfectly obedient, perfectly amazing in every way, even Jesus had so much rejection, so much failure in in terms that we would say. People who were with him, and then they weren't with him. Crowds came, they consumed, they took, and then they left him. Ultimately, even at the cross, what a mystery, the apparent mystery of the cross. Jesus, in one way, looking like the ultimate failure, but trusting that God would bring to life. He would make the seed that was being buried come back in a glorious new way. And that's the way for all of us. And this is, this is amazing, my friends. In a time when we feel even more out of control, I'm sure we all feel that. And we feel more and more like, am I doing the right thing? How does Jesus sleep in the middle of the storm? He is a living embodiment of that parable. There is a serenity and a peace that comes from knowing, of course, we plant and we sow and we water. But do you know what it says here? All by itself, the soil produces corn. Of course, it's not all by itself. It's the Father making it happen. But Jesus is like, I can get a good sleep now after my exhausting day of ministry because the Father is in control. He makes all things happen. He is the one that even when there's chaos and things seem confusing, he never stops working. Now, you can have a a business that at one level is not doing great and then suddenly in the very worst week for everyone else, boom! that suddenly starts springing up and Tyler Castleberg is a very happy man. He doesn't understand it entirely, but God is like, I am the Lord who is over every season, every soil, every climate, every city, every part of this world. And and, and every job loss and every job application and every visa denied and every visa reapplied for. Our, our king is a king whose, whose kingdom we are involved with we partner with, but we ultimately cannot control. And this seems to be my best guess is that, that this kind of feeling of the kingdom of God seems to be perhaps in Jesus' soul all the time. You know, when he finished his life, he was able to say, he didn't say, I've made everything grow and become incredible and it's done this. He said, I have done the work my Father gave me to do. You see, for Jesus, success was about obedience more than even tangible results. I mean, that's just, that's life-changing. It's about relational obedience to my father, not about control of the fruit and the things I want to happen. And that changes us, amen? It just changes us. When that starts to get into our souls, it really changes us. Well, here endeth the lesson.